This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler at the 2019 Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, and uh, we don't have Steve at the table with me as my co-host today. We have somebody else who's pretty special at the organization. Who do we have? Hey, this is Miles Moretti. Glad to be here and glad to be the, the first substitute. That's right. So Miles Moretti is my co-host today, and we've got a person. And the reason why Miles is the co-host is we've got a board member for the Mule Deer Foundation and somebody who uh, you may recognize from, from television shows and, and just a, an outstanding man and an outstanding guide, Dan Harrison with Harrison's Hunting. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate being here. Thank you, Miles, for watching over me today. <laughs> Thank you so much. And now Dan holds a very special place in, in my heart for a lot of reasons, but um, you guided our daughter to her first antelope hunt, her first big game hunt this year. And uh, that was quite an adventure. And it was so special to share it with you. So so thank you, and, and a very special person to, to have here. Yeah, no, and that's that's one of my main reasons for. I can't hear One of my main reasons for guiding is I, I've tailored it to the kids. You know, it's, ever since I started my own outfit, I was able to set up a program where the kids would come free as long as they had a paid mentor. I would never charge for as long as they qualified for a youth tag. I would never charge for that youth coming, and that's you know, and I've I don't taken well over 400 kids and like Sophie was the first time hunters and you know and that's part of my I want it to be my legacy is getting the youth involved because that's where my passion is and that's what brought me to more to the Mule Deer Foundation with their Muley's program and and how active the organization is with the youth and the family because it, this western type heritage hunting is a lot of family ori- oriented outings whether it's shed hunting camping scouting you know, there's a lot of family. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and how you got into, because I know, you know, hunting didn't come, you, you were in the timber industry, right? I was. Um, I, my dad was a civil service. Uh, he, he worked actually for a naval shipyard in, in California. Um, I grew up in Salida, Buena Vista area, and I did. The, in Colorado. In Colorado. Yep. But I had I did go out to California for a while, and. As soon as I was old enough to come back, I did. But what I what started out there was I started into the logging timber industry. And moving from there to Colorado, taking my uh, company to Colorado, I was managing private timberlands for larger ranch owners and doing wildlife habitat improvements for them. And that's kind of where all of this lined up into a future of guiding and outfitting because it led me into... You know, private land access, private yeah. land access yep. and taking over and building recreational opportunities for the big private ranches that in turn met I met Chris Dorsey yes Chris Dorsey was very integral about advancing my Chris future. is with Orion multimedia right and and Dorsey has pictures now. yeah Dorsey pictures yeah. now and so he <laughs> yep. and and your first television show was with Tread Barda, correct? Is that No, it oh, was yeah. with Chris Dorsey. It was with Chris, okay. Um, just, just so you know, Chris Dorsey did Icon of the West for MDF a few years ago. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, Chris Dorsey, when I first met him, he was actually an editor for Sports of Field Magazine. Right. And he did all of his first shows with me on that on the ranch I was managing. Wow. And that's where I met Tread Barda, and then, you know, it was a, it was a big toss-up between... 
Chris and Tread, and I really enjoyed doing Tread because it was a network bot show, so we didn't have sponsors. Okay. And it was really easy to go out and have 22 minutes of fun. Yeah. And... Yeah. And Dan, if you'll remember, um, would, was the straight face um, in, in the background kind of shaking his head at Tread's antics yeah. Yeah. Uh, in those shows. Yeah, so I, in that, we did that for nine years. I mean, there, there, was a, there was a phone call that was made that you know, I had to choose because it was one Friday night block. I was on every outdoor television show on the Friday night block on out, OLN at the time. Right. And I had to choose between Tread or Chris. And I chose Tread just because we were having so much fun and I was having actually more impact because I could do more of what I wanted to do instead of what the sponsors wanted to do. Yeah, and that's, that's tough in, in that business. It is. It is. And, it, 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 you know, f- probably in a professional point of view, it hurt me because I, I am not a sponsor-driven guy. And, I, you know, I pick my battles and, and that's where I go. No, yep, that's hard, that business. Yeah. And then was Remington Country after that? Remington what? Country was after that. Okay. Um, after Tread had his final stroke, um, you know, basically his show was canceled. Right. That's when Chris picked me back up and had me, you know, interview for Remington Country TV. Outstanding. Outstanding. So you are a busy man. You run a busy outfitting company, and uh, but, but you dedicate some of your free time to groups like Mule Deer Foundation. You're a member of the board of directors, yes. um, and you're also involved with Congressional Sportsman's Foundation and American Hero Adventures as well. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with these organizations, why that's important to you, and what each of those groups are doing. You know, my passion is Mule Deer. I love Mule Deer, and that's the reason why Mule Deer Foundation is so dear to my heart, because it's protecting you know, we all call it the icon of the West because it is. It, the mule deer is the holy grail of the West style hunting. And, you know, I wish they would make more noise like the elk, <laughs> okay. and then they would be more famous than the elk. But if you, you talk to any Western hunter or Eastern hunter, everybody wants to come out and harvest a mule deer. Yep. And, that, and that's the biggest part where MDF does, and they play the biggest part in saving the habitat for the Mule Deer Foundation or for the Mule Deer through the foundation. And that is one of my battles I wanted to pick because the Mule Deer are part of, I make money off of them. So the Mule Deer Foundation is actually the only organization that is protecting the future. The future and and, and hunting of Mule Deer, obviously it's it's a it's a rite of passage for so many kids, it is. Uh, so many people in the West out here, for sure. And quite frankly, I, I grew up back east, as I've talked about a number of times, but my grandfather and my great uncle used to come west to do a mule deer hunt. Um, they did it several years in a row. And, and back in my family's farmhouse in New Jersey, we have a couple of big mule deer heads on the wall. And, and so that was, I, I'd spent time in the West, but that you know, mule deer hunting has been a part of my family for a long time as well. I think I've been on the board for five years now. Five years, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've been, I, Miles was there and I, I, I said, I do not want to sit on a board that does not get things accomplished. And, and hopefully they'll ask me back on my sixth year because this board gets things accomplished with Miles leadership. There, there's a lot going on these there days. Is right? a lot. Yeah. yeah. And you know, our board's integral to our success. You know, they set the strategic plan for our, for what we're, where we're going, where we're headed in the future. And. And the one nice thing I like about our, my board is they don't micromanage me. <laughs> and, you know, they give great advice up front, and they and they put together a plan, and then it's our job to go implement it. So 
And, and doing a great job with that, for sure, yeah. no doubt. Yep. So you and I also spoke earlier this year about American Hero Adventures because um, that I, I did an article um, in USA Today's uh, Veterans Affairs about organizations that are helping veterans to heal through trips in the outdoors, hunting and fishing adventures. Tell me a little bit about AHA and why you're involved with them and what you all do. Through Chris Dorsey, I co-hosted a couple of episodes of Grateful Nation. Mm-hmm. Through Grateful Nation, I met a... a retired captain troy givens that you you have met um he has an organization american hero adventures and it's kind of like the mule deer foundation you know you, they're so focused on one goal that you can actually get some things done and where you can take people out it and, and his his organization doesn't just focus on you know veterans it's anybody that takes the oath of office so if policemen firemen first responders everybody can join in through his organization so when you take these people afield and you see life changes actually you can see life changes on the mountain and mm-hmm. having the opportunity to take them out and witness these life changes that's what drives me yeah. i mean that is why i guide and why i outfit because i want to see that life change that's yeah. why i'm so involved with the youth because you can see life changes in the field that's absolutely true. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think you told me that Troy uh, Troy was had devastating injuries in Afghanistan, Afghanistan. I believe. Um, and you were on the hunt where he was reunited with the medic that saved his life. Is that? That was, we filmed it for Grateful Nation, and I could not be interviewed on that tape because I, could, I was crying the whole time. Very I mean, I, I'm right now, I'm fighting it back right now because that was so emotional to see that. Yeah. Because Troy was dead. He should have not. Have, he should not have been alive, and it wasn't. It wasn't the Americans. It was the Americans that saved him, but it was the German helicopter that flew him to a German base because the Americans couldn't get there. Wow. So he went. I mean, it was a roundabout way to get back home, and and Troy is a. He's a fighter, and I have the utmost respect for that man yeah. and what yeah. he does. Absolutely. So as a person who makes a living on hunting, I'm sure you can pass on some great uh, some great tips and tactics. What have you learned over the years as you've chased mule deer? And, uh, because you guide in a number of different states, right? Yeah. Colorado, Montana, Manitoba, um, and, you know, some in California. I mm-hmm. still go back there and do waterfowl and stuff back there. But um, the basic tip I can say is do your homework. Mm-hmm. The internet is your friend. Topographical maps are your best friend. Yeah. And there's do, a lot of resources out there now that oh, can help you with it's that. Unreal the amount of information out there. But the biggest thing is never, never mess with their security. If you mess with their, whether it be mule deer, elk, antelope, they have to have a, a sacred place. Don't yeah. infringe on that sacred place. That's the biggest thing that out-of-state hunters. I mean, I, I'm an outfitter. What do I do when I, on opening day? I take my guides up, and we sit on points because I know the out-of-staters are going to go in there and push them, push all the deer and deer and elk out. And we, there are dogs. Don't be the dog. Yeah. Do your homework. That's a, that's a good point. That, that's it, really it a good is. point. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people understand. I think they just feel like they can just bust into an area and they don't realize what they're doing and how they're ruining the hunt for themselves and everybody else. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the hunt is, is, is interacting with the wildlife. I mean, that's just to see how they operate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you can sit back and glass, I mean, glass 
optics are everything. Um, if you can sit back in glass and learn a little bit about the animal before you go in there and try to harvest mm -hmm. it, then you, you're a better person at the end of the day yeah. or at the end of the hunt. And that's the biggest thing is just patience. Yeah. Don't be busting into their security yeah. because you'll, you'll be nature hiking. Yeah. So optics, um, you know, I've talked a little bit about this recently, about some of the new optics that are out there. What do you use? I had, okay, I don't have an optic sponsor. Okay. I, I, I use what is the best. And I have Zeiss rifle scopes, and I have SIG optics, okay. binoculars. And SIG is making a big play I was going to say, SIG they, optics is what I was. They've uh, really come on. They All of a sudden, you know, I, like at SHOT Show, I was just amazed at their optics that they had line. I not really realized and that. What yeah. is it, the BDX, the, the ballistic data that exchange is, is the? I mean, I, 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 yeah, I won't say, I won't elaborate on that, but I swapped to a SIG rangefinder that bdx 2400 yeah and when you hand hold 2100 yards wow that's special yeah, yeah for sure not you know not saying that you know the, the biggest thing is with long range hunting is you know they want to go out and shoot animals at a 700 to a thousand yards a lot can happen <laughs> there's a lot a that can happen between a thousand <laughs> yards and I, i'm not an advocate of that yeah I, you know, you should you should be able to have enough skill to get in closer to than that. Yeah. You know, can I elaborate on that a little bit? Because we're seeing so many long range shooting uh, makers and stuff, and we have them here at the expo. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're getting a lot of pushback on from from some people um, saying that isn't fair chase. And I, I, you know, I not that we want to start a debate or anything, but how do you feel about that with your guides and the guiding and some of the people you're taking? I know a lot of times. When you take somebody out, maybe they they only get out once a year. You're not going to have them shooting at seven, eight hundred thousand yards. Right. But you know what? How how do you feel it for your life and I in the I field? okay. My biggest thing is when my hunters come in. They're 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 the guys that you just explained that they go out and shoot once or twice a year, right prior to the hunt to shoot seven hundred to a thousand to fifteen hundred yards. You have to burn some ammo. Because it's trigger control, and if if you're not out there burning that ammo to 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 polish your techniques on trigger control, you're not going to be able to ethically harvest that animal between seven and you know between five and right. a thousand yards or beyond. Because, I mean that's the thing. It, it's it's. Do you want to cripple that animal? No. Right you want to make a legal ethical shot on that animal and drop it as cleanly as possible because we're not out here to maim right. we're out here to enjoy the experience enjoy the experience and you and want to be able to recover it quickly and, and recover it the quickly. farther it goes the farther away it is it makes it a lot harder to find that animal so i am i am not a i i am an av i i don't see a a a problem with long-range shooting as long as the the shooter can actually shoot seven well and that's there the, the technology is is changing i mean there are enough advances in equipment mm -hmm. that 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 some of those shots can be very very effective very efficient with a person who is very skilled at it but there's an awful lot of people that are not yeah. um, that that's and that's a challenge to to self-police but it you know to me when i hunt the biggest fun is trying to see how close you can get yeah, honestly yeah, to yeah, me that yeah. is and it's not always feasible and so then you have to know what your effective range is but 
But it is it is a challenge that I think is being struggled with big picture in the the industry and, and organizations. Yeah. And I think it it is something that um, you know that is bears continued discussion and debate. Um, to me, for sure, the ability to to interact more closely to see there to that that. I was quite happy when I shot my first antelope. It was 69 yards. <laughs> I was pretty proud of that, knowing how fast they pick you up. And then, <laughs> you know, with Sophie with the does and how quickly they take off when, yeah. when they're spooked, you know. Well, sometimes in places like Wyoming and stuff, you can't get close. Right, right. right. Absolutely. And, you know, now I hunt out on the eastern plains, and it's yeah. hard to get close. I mean, most of our bucks that we've harvested on, harvested on the eastern plains, we've shot within 150 yards. Right. Because, you know, we do the right thing. But I do have a hunter, and that's what I was trying to get at. And he has he has the long range gun, and and he has killed two deer that were 800 yards, because he can. It is not that it's unethical. He is a good shot. He burns the ammo. He needs your proficient. Yep. Now the the friend that he comes to comes with. Same gun, different shooter cannot do that, and he's he made two bad shots, yep. and you know. It's it's a um, when whenever I go hunting, it's a draw blood, you're done. Yeah. And so it, it, it with this particular person, it's a 300 yard limit on him. Yeah. Well, know your limits. Absolutely. Know your limits. Yep. So we uh, we talked when we were hunting about your you had quite a wreck about a year ago, did you not? You I you did. you you almost didn't make it off a mountain. I have been guiding outfitting for 30 years now, and that, that horse wreck I experienced uh, just a year and a half ago now, it, that was the worst thing. I, I wouldn't even have heard or imagined as bad as that horse wreck was. That uh, what happened was I was leading the pack train up, had a tail under the a rope under the tail. Oh. Yeah, and, it would, <laughs> oh, and, it, and this was my own, my own personal <laughs> horse. I mean, yeah. this is, but what, you know, leading up to that, it was, the lead horse was a, another lead horse, and we were going side jockeying to side. Jockeying for he, position. Jockeying for position all the way up. And she was mad. So when the tail, when the rope got under her tail, she went back to kick because she was mad. Yeah. And, well, he reared back and rope burned her. So anyway, I ended up going over a cliff backwards off the mm. back of a horse. Oh. And uh, we went down about 12, 15 feet. On, it was on a one-to-one -one slope. Um, and this is in the wilderness area. And... I mean, I'm, I'm, it, it shook me up. Yeah. Um, I ended up hitting a tree uh, about 15, 12 to 15 feet below, and it hit me right here in the small of my back. And I, to this day, I don't know why I'm walking right now. Because yeah. it should have broken my back yeah. right there. Yep. And then I, on top of that, I had the horse come down on top of me. Oh. Oh. So you're pinned. So I had this 900-pound horse on top of me pinned underneath this aspen tree mm -hmm. on a one-to-one -one slope. <laughs> and... You know, we wrestled around there for quite a while. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm talking 15 minutes, and that's a long time yeah. to be pinned under a horse. And, and you're guiding. And I'm guiding. Yeah, this right. is the first week of archery yeah. season, right? September. And, you know, that's the, you know, guiding and outfitting, this sounds like it's a really great job. Right. <laughs> but when you're the outfitter, you have to be there. So anyway, I, I looked at one of the, my friends that was actually with me, and I, I I said, you know, you have to get me under out from underneath this horse, or you're going to sit here and watch me die right now. It was it was to that point. Anyway, we ended up getting a horse. You know, through what he did, we got we got. I was able to get out from underneath the horse. We saved the horse, um, but uh, they went ahead and rode into camp. 
and dropped all the gear off. And I did it because I'm a, uh, an EMR, so I kind of did a self-evaluation on me, and I needed I needed to go to the hospital just yeah. to get checked out. So we went in and did the MRI down at the, the, the Vail Hospital, and I had four broken ribs, um, broke my hand. I had a, a, she kicked me with my upper groin muscle, mm. um, tore my tore my groin muscle, um, and basically that was it. Which is quite frankly not a lot compared to yeah, what yeah. it could have been. Oh, so you been were absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's bad, <laughs> but it was a lot luckier than it could but have been. And a, you didn't lose the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was and like I said, that was my own personal horse. She she goes wherever I go, um, but. You know, after that, being the outfitter, knowing that, you know, it's I'm not going to die. So I had to strap on my pack, and I walked into camp the next day. Oh, my gosh. And, I, you know, it took me a couple of days to get out of the tent because that was the other thing. I, once I got on the ground because we were, we were in a wilderness, <laughs> I, I couldn't get up. I had to have help to get up oh. out, you know, so it was, it was not fun a couple of days. But uh, right there, and I had to go from archery elk to uh, muzzleloader elk to Manitoba moose. And it's not for the faint of heart. No, it's Guiding not. Guiding is a, is a lot of work, uh, and there's potential for accidents and challenges, no doubt. But, no I, doubt. you know, that's resulting from that, I had to have both hips replaced, and you were... On yep. the tail end of on one. On the tail end of one. And, and now and you're seeing yep. me on, the, on yep. the back side but, of the other. But you're walking around on a And I've gained, easily. like I told you, I've gained 20 years on that. Yeah. I, I hear that last night at the at the uh, party, the welcome back party, that Dan and Julie compared hip surgeries. My wife, Julie, had hip surgery this year. We did. Ah. <laughs> we have something in common. We have something in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she had her hip replaced. Well, it, 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 there's no doubt for... Yeah. That 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 can be life changing again. It, and it, it is. I, I I'm ready to start over. No. I, I I feel that much better. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. So okay, so uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on on board activities that are going on? Things that the organization um, issues specifically that you're interested in that you're going to be working on? No, uh, Miles, let's talk, you, let you talk on that because that Miles' direction on on the Mule Deer Foundation is is the best part of being here because he yeah. he has it. He has yeah, he's, he's got it dialed in. Yeah, I, I, paid him, I paid him to say that. <laughs> no, and as I said earlier, you know, and one of the things, um, you know, Dan brings to the board is, you know, we went out looking for certain skills, and, and we needed somebody that understood the media and TV and, and, and you know, the guiding and outfitting business because we get hit up every day for somebody to sponsor a TV show. And, and, right. and while I love a lot of them, a lot of them are my friends, sometimes we don't get the value out of that. And it helps to have that perspective that somebody that's been there in the trenches you know, had had to produce shows and, and what, and the value that we get back out of that. So it's important to have that perspective. And and so, and then, you know, the shout-out I always give, if, if you really want to have a great experience, you know, apply for the board of directors. We're always looking for good candidates. <laughs> you know, we, we usually have one or two vacancies a year. Um, we just had to extend three members uh, uh, this this year. Not I don't mean had to, but but we extended three members because um, we just didn't find some really good qualified candidates right, right now. And so and that happens once in a while. And then other times we have three or four people that come on the board at once. So. Right. Um, but it's it's a great experience, and they're and they're great great help to me. Well, it's it, I'd imagine, and you might be able to provide perspective when you 
think about what an organization does from the outside. You can have all the criticism in the world until you see what really, what, what the reality of their world behind, you know, what the budgets are, what staffing challenges are, what the bigger picture. I'd imagine it's probably, a, a, you know, somebody who says, I can fix this, I'll go on the board. It's not as easy as all that. No, it's not. And there is, you know, there's, there's structure on the board and we have to follow protocol. But that's, that's the biggest thing, coming from the outside, looking into Mule Deer Foundation for many years. Um, I can see from the inside now, looking out, what the Mule Deer Foundation really does. And it's, I feel even more proud to be a part of this organization now than just a paid member years before. I mean, to, you know, I can honestly say this. Yeah. No, wait. I was not a paid member of Mueller Foundation when they asked me to come aboard because I, was, I did not understand what MDF does. And I am such a proponent. I mean, I love the Mueller Foundation now for actually seeing exactly what MDF does. So, so with that commercial, www.muledeer.org, <laughs> we'd love to have you as a member, anybody out there. Yes. Absolutely. Dan, thank you so much for your time. If they want to get information about uh, your guiding business or opportunities, is there a website for that as well? Harrisonshunting.com. Okay, and you also mentioned American Hero Adventures. American Hero Adventures and Congressional Sportsman's Foundation.org. Okay. It's actually, it's congressionalsportsman.org uh, and just Google American Hero Adventures as yeah. well. So, uh, because both both tremendous organizations. We had Jeff yeah. Crane on here. Um, we, we talked to the him through the show. SHOT Show. Yep. and. Um, and again, I know the work you're doing, so veterans um, can look into that because yeah. it's a great program through American Hero Adventures. Yeah. Thank you for all you do to give back. Thank you again Thank you, for uh, yep. for taking my daughter Thank on her you, first Dan. hunt. That was a yep. special time. Uh, Thanks, so until the next time, we're talking mule deer. This is Jody Stemler. And you're, this is Miles Moretti and your regular host, Steve Belinda. Hopefully we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.